where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he is among us. And so welcome to worship here at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church, whether you are joining us by Facebook Live or Instagram Live or by podcasts or by recording. We're so glad you found your way to us for worship today. If you have been visiting us here at Selwyn um, for a while, or if you are new to our worship here at Selwyn, we're glad you're with us. If you're interested in learning more about what it might be like to belong here in membership, then please know we will host orientation classes later this month, and you are encouraged and invited to find my email address or Margot's email address on our website so that we can line you up for those Zoom classes. All of Selwyn's fall programming will launch next Sunday, the 13th, as we mark the beginning of a new season. Links to many of our small groups, Bible study circles, Sunday school classes, as well as opportunities for mission will be found on our website, including all of our youth programming for high schoolers, middle schoolers, and children. We appreciate your continued dedication and faithfulness to our community and to our mission partners through your ties and your gifts. Thank you for your stewardship during these unusual times that our church is facing as we seek to be faithful to the mission of our church. Please remember that you can text your offering or your tithe today at 704-734-9818. If you are a ninth grader or you have a ninth, grade in your, a ninth grader in your family, please remember that Confirmation Sunday is finally going to happen next week. We will celebrate confirmation both here in this 10.30 a.m. worship service and also our new evening worship service, which will take place at 7.30 on the lawn of our church as you bring a chair and a mask and an open heart. Um, again, we do not have nighttime worship uh, today, but we will have it a week from today. And finally, we give thanks and glory to God on the birth of our newest member. Congratulations to Drew and Fran Sutton on the birth of their son, Theodore Teddy Philip Sutton, born on September 1st. Congratulations to their family and to Teddy's big brother, John. And now let us prepare our hearts to worship God. In the Spirit's tether, for when humbly in your name, two or three are met together, you are in the midst of them. Will you please join me in our call to worship? Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Let Israel be glad in its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise the Lord's name with dancing. 
making melody to God with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in the people. God adorns the humble with victory. Let the faithful exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their couches. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet your tribute bring. Ransom healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia, praise the everlasting King. Praise him for his grace and favor to his people in distress. Praise him still the same as ever, slow to chide and swift to bless. Alleluia, alleluia, glorious in his faithfulness. Angels help us to adore him. You behold him face to face. Sun and moon bow down before him. Dwellers all in time and space. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise with us the God of grace. Friends, our God is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He's close to all who call on him in truth, listening to their cries for help and offering salvation. Trusting in this, let us now bring our confession to God, knowing that he will hear us and forgive us. Will you please join me in our unison prayer of confession? Let us pray. Why do you live as if our lives are our own and our will synonymous with your ways? Our actions defy your commandment to love you and love our neighbors. We forgive that you entrust us with the power to forgive, the task of reconciliation and the responsibility to care for creation and every creature within it. When we are strong, we assume that we are self-sufficient. When we are weak, we are embarrassed to ask for help. Forgive our pride and lack of compassion for selves and for others. Reveal to us yet again your merciful and gracious character and help us to reflect in it so that our relationships demonstrate your loving kindness to the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. 
In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. In a season where there are so many voices we hear, we are called to focus on one voice, the one voice of the one who orders our steps and redeems our lives. Today we begin our new fall preaching series uh, entitled Jesus Says, as we work our way through the Gospel of Matthew. Our first text can be found in the 18th chapter of the Gospel, verses 15 through 20. Listen for the word of the Lord. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and correct them when you are alone together. If they listen to you, then you've won over your brother and sister. But if they won't listen, take with you one or two others, so that every word may be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. But if they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. If they won't pay attention even to the church, treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. I assure you that whatever you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again, I assure you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, then my Father who is in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we all know, we all know the implications of this global pandemic. Most importantly, the deaths. We know about the grief, an estimated 200,000 deaths nationally by the end of the month. We know 53% of Americans report their mental health has been negatively impacted by the pandemic. Difficulty sleeping, struggles with eating, substance abuse, chronic stress and anxiety, all on the rise. Suicide rates have increased. Divorce rates are up 20 or 25%. Domestic violent reports are up. We all know about the challenges of job loss and unemployment. 52% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 29 are now living with their parents. We know about families living on the poverty line who are struggling to eat or to teach their children or to even keep roofs above their heads. Sheltering in place is not easy. But I have to ask you, when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am with you, could he have possibly meant the same two or three people, day in and day out, for months on end? I mean, if Jesus is with us the whole time, I doubt he's enjoying it any more than the rest of us. I know one mom who runs out on errands even though she has nowhere to go and nothing really to pick up. I'll be back, just running a quick errand, nowhere for nothing. In-person meetings are, are now considered a luxurious break from time at home. Evolution has done a number on our population of teenagers. I've seen one. I haven't looked 
closely, but I think his AirPods are now functioning like gills on a fish. And I don't blame him. I've come to consider it a matter of survival as they attempt to live with their parents 24-7. Last Sunday, Selwyn hosted our first worship service outside. As we celebrated the Lord's Supper together, it was as if we had never tasted such amazing grape juice and crackers. And as much as we make light of it, the impact is real. We are all doing the best we can. But marriages are strained, relationships are being challenged, emotions are running high, and as difficult as it is, most therapists and experts would reassure us that for those of us who share a home with someone else, the unremitting intensity of togetherness is what most of this is due to. It's not that COVID-19 is causing new problems. It is simply revealing the cracks that had already been there, which forces many of us to confront issues we'd hoped to avoid for many years to come. Money, time, household responsibilities, sex, and children have always been the issues of, deba of debate in married relationships. But it's not really about those things as much as it is about the manner in which we address those things. And let's face it, we happen to be in a season where most of us are either experiencing extreme loneliness with more time and more space, or extreme togetherness with less, less money, less time, more mess, less intimacy, and more time with our children or our parents. So what does it mean to honor our most sacred and committed relationships over a time such as this? In marriage, of course, there is a covenant with God. I promise to be a loving and faithful spouse for better or worse. In baptism, of course, there is a covenant. I promise to walk with Christ and to love and teach my child in the name of Christ and in the way of Christ. As elders and pastors, of course, we take ordination vows. I promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church. So why is it then we seem to hurt the ones we love the most more than anyone else? Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, Whoever cannot be alone should be aware of community. But the reverse is also true. Whoever cannot stand being in community should be aware of being alone. We seek relationships of integrity and trust and intimacy because those are the places where we find the wholeness and the peace that every human desires. And while we often expect more from those we love, it is also true that we often project more, more of our own experiences or feelings of fear or disappointment onto those we love the most. To be in a relationship, whether it is a friendship or a partnership in the church or a family relationship between siblings or children and parents or aunts and uncles or husband and wife, is to be vulnerable. One friend likens her young adult child to her own heart walking around outside of her body. Taylor Swift has created an empire by singing about the pain of falling in love and breaking up. 
But perhaps the most honest thing I've heard about love is this. Love is not breathlessness. It is not excitement. It is not the promulgation of promises of eternal passion. That is just being in love. Being in love, which any of us can convince ourselves of. Love itself is what is left over when being in love has burned away. As humans navigating life together, if we hope to have honest and lasting relationships, then we can expect conflict. It's not a matter of if we will hurt or disappoint one another, it's when. And it is true that our relationships within the church often hold a similar expectation of honesty and integrity. And for this, our work together in the name of Christ is always happening on sacred ground. And why is that? Because as people of faith, in every relationship where we open ourselves up to be known and loved, we expect God's Spirit to be present among us, to move between us, for us, and with us. And therefore, while our expectations of grace and forgiveness and honesty are very high, we often tend to forget how imperfectly human we really are. And so here we find Jesus in this text, addressing the authority of the church to set boundaries and standards that will honor and protect the integrity of our relationships along the way. Protect them from all that pulls us away from one another, from all that centers our own narrative, our own experiences, our own egos, our own pride, our own wants. Jesus tells us, if we are going to face all of that sin, all of that which separates us from God and one another, we must do it head on. I imagine when I die, I will regret the times that I hurt the people I love the most. And I suspect I will know that they truly, truly love me by their persistent grace and their willingness to love me in spite of the many ways that I have disappointed or offended them. And while God's grace and forgiveness erases all of those moments of my missteps from the board of life, it is as if they have been written with a dry erase marker. But so often we wrongly recall those moments as if they had been written down with a sharpie instead. But remember that by God's grace in Christ, the board is erased totally clean. While there might be consequences, there is no permanence to our sinfulness. And so the problem with our text this morning has nothing to do with receiving the unearned, undeserved, unbounded grace of Jesus Christ. It's that when we ourselves are wounded or hurt or broken in some way by someone that we trust and know, someone that we are in a covenant relationship with, we are called, well, actually we are commanded to go and seek the other one out to address it immediately. And we do not always hear that as good news. You want me to do what? You mean this one's on me, even though it was her fault? No, no, no. We'd rather pull out the Sharpie. Let it fester. 
make assumptions, hold on to the bitterness and self-pity, add it to the pile of reasons it would be better just to quit, snip, yell, ignore, skip the meeting, gossip, manipulate, undermine. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. And nothing can be more compassionate than the reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. It takes so much courage and strength to face one another honestly in the midst of our brokenness and sin and pain. And yet this is what it means to be a person of faith in a community. Christ loves us so much that he will meet us wherever we are, but he also will not let us stay where we are. It is a cleansing by water and a refining by fire. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, go find that other person and make them feel really guilty and ashamed. Notice that he doesn't say, go and find that other person and scream and yell and fight. I really don't know of a conflict that has ever been resolved by a screaming match. No, he says, address it privately in love, that you might win him back for God's glory. Win him back? Yes, win him back. It's a dry erase board, so take your eraser with you. But I'm so hurt, you say. Yes, but it is as if he were a lost sheep or she's lost her way. It is as if they are alone and unaware of the danger. And the relationship is so important. It needs to be made whole. Well, what if it doesn't work? Well, if it doesn't work, then you need to go get some help. But whatever you do, don't quit. Because the only thing worse than feelings of anger and hatred or disappointment are feelings of resentment and indifference. I have a dear friend who often sends me articles by the author David Brooks, and his most recent email to me reminded me of a TED talk I once watched of David Brooks, who had been speaking honestly about a dark time in his life after coming to terms with a failed marriage. He began to realize he could not rely on himself for his own happiness in those times, not his own ideas, not his own intellect or accomplishments, not his politics, not even his vast successful career. None of it could really sustain him for a life of peace and joy. He says this, he says, I was detached and at the same time, a lot of other people were detached and isolated and fragmented from each other. 35% of Americans over 45 claim to be chronically lonely. Only 8% of Americans report having meaningful conversations with their neighbors. Only 32% of Americans say they trust their neighbor. Only 18% of millennials trust their neighbor. The fastest growing political party is unaffiliated. The fastest growing religious movement is unaffiliated. Depression rates are rising. Mental health problems are rising. The suicide rate is up 30% since 1999. For teens, suicides over the last several years have increased at a rate of 70%. 72,000 people die from opioid addictions. 
Life expectancy is falling in America, not rising. He continued, we have an economic crisis, an environmental crisis, we have a political crisis, but we also have a social and a relational crisis. We are in a valley. And well, none of that is very good news, but it does speak to just how much we need each other. And perhaps more than that, how much our relationships must be rooted and sustained by someone and something capable of transcending all of our missteps and mistakes and misgivings and misguided decisions. And well, what chance do we have otherwise? So often our decisions are guided by an immediate desire or feeling. But notice that Jesus doesn't say where two or three are gathered for drinks or where two or three are gathered for another round of the same old, same old or where two or three are gathered out of rote obligation. No, he says, when two or three are gathered in my name, in my name, for my purpose, for my agenda, for my way, which, by the way, is not your way. Our promises to one another and to God are meant to organize and protect our relationships. Coming together in the name of Christ is an act of prayer in and of itself. It is a practice of humility and gratitude, of faith and need. It is a practice of recentering and repenting and refocusing. It's a practice of reconciling together. Walter Brueggemann recently suggested that we, the church, really have two principal tasks during this time. One, to practice grief in the face of denial by truth-telling. And two, to practice hope in the face of despair by promise-telling. And both of these practices are respectively grounded in two very important acts. They are not our acts, they are God's acts. And they are the crucifixion and the resurrection and both of those acts by God stand down the dominant narrative of our culture by demonstrating God's abundance in the face of scarcity and courage in the face of fear and generosity in the face of greed and peaceableness in the face of so much violence. And you tell me, how are we, the church, supposed to do that if we are busy fighting about the budget or the parking lot or the laundry. Brueggemann continues, this is an urgent time to help folks see the contradiction between our narrative of faith and the narrative that dominates our society. And isn't this what the church is all about? Even though we can't gather here in this sanctuary, isn't this the one thing that draws us together as a community? Truth and hope. A truth and hope that leads us to joy and peace, even in the face of all that threatens to divide us in this world, even death. So if I might be so bold, if you have had the audacity to join a church, this church, or any other church in this day and age. This means that you, deep down, honestly hope 
that all of these promises of grace and love and wholeness are not only true and real and accessible to you and to your spouse or your partner or the ones you love or your children, but also for all of those that you are indifferent to. And in that case, we're all on the hook. In fact, I think those might be the only times that God chooses the Sharpie instead of the dry erase marker. I one time read in the book of Matthew, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. You see, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with you. I was once lost and now I'm found. Amen. Amen. Having heard God's word read and proclaimed this morning, let us now enter into a time of prayer together. Our prayer this morning is adapted from a prayer written for the Presbyterian Outlook by Jill Duffield. Let us pray. Almighty God, we approach you with reverence and hope, aware that we often lack the words to express our deepest fears and our most heartfelt needs. We are confident that before a word is on your lips, you know it completely. We believe in your presence and your promise and your certainty and the power of your work for good. Relying on your grace, we bring to you the cares of the world and the concerns of our community and the worries that keep us up at night. Lord, as we see images of destruction in communities in flames and entire towns destroyed by winds and water, we pray for those impacted by natural disasters. Sustain the weary, strengthen the weak, empower your people to be helpers to those desperate for relief. Do not let us shrink from loving our neighbors now though the long months of recovery are yet to come. We remember, too, the many among us who feel crushed under the weight of this persistent pandemic. Comfort those who grieve, heal the sick, encourage the caregivers, provide for people who are unable to make ends meet. Make of your followers those who fish for people and mend the communal safety nets that keep your children from drowning when storms churn in life. Knowing that we are put in community to care for each other, that our fate is tied to that of others, we pray to be peacemakers and ambassadors of reconciliation, to work for ways of life together that bind up rather than tear down, to be those who let loose mercy and ever-flowing justice. Lord, on this weekend of rest, we give thanks to those who work in stores and markets, in mines and in fields, on ships and planes, in the armed forces and in factories and warehouses and hospitals and churches and offices and classrooms. God, we benefit from the labor of so many people many of whom we will never see or know. 
Thank you for their good work and their faithful service. May our working and our resting give you praise. Gracious God, you hear the cries of your people and find a way to set them free, free from oppression, free from exploitation, free from anything that prevents the abundant life of Christ. As partakers of your grace, we boldly ask to be participants in your kingdom's coming until that time when every tribe and every nation is healed and whole, gathered together and praising our Savior and Lord, the one who taught us to say when we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, Micah 6, 8 says this, With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Friends, remembering these words, let us gather our gifts together this day and offer them to God with gratitude and praise. Our text to give number is 704 734 9818. that is broken here in the cup that is poured here in the word that is spoken Jesus Christ is Lord he where the poor find their treasure he where the greatest are least Come find a love beyond measure In this heavenly feast Where two or three are gathered Gathered in my name I come with words of comfort To ease your hurt and shame Here in the bread that is broken Here in the cup 
cup that is poured Here in the word that is spoken Jesus Christ is Lord Here where the poor find their treasure Here where the greatest are least Come find a love beyond measure In this heavenly feast Where two or three are gathered I am there as well Inviting my disciples in perfect love to dwell Here in the bread that is broken Here in the cup that is poured Here in the word that is spoken Jesus Christ is Lord where the poor find their treasure Here where the greatest are least Come find a love beyond measure In this heavenly pray in dedication. Oh God, there is nothing we can offer in exchange for the gift of salvation, the gift of life, the gift of each breath and every moment in your good creation, Lord God. You offer us grace and we cannot fathom such freely given love. We respond with praise, with worship, with offering a portion of what you have entrusted to us knowing you can do abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. We give these gifts to you and await with hopeful eagerness the blessing you will bring to others through them. Amen. And now may God bless the space between you and those you love. May Christ's reconciling grace set you free. And may God's Holy Spirit draw you toward the ones that are lost and are in need of your grace and love and hope until we're drawn back together to this place in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.